They kept the Feast of Tabernacles one time an extra seven days, you remember. But uh, Deuteronomy's gone on much longer than that. We just keep on here. But this is very important, and I think that the information we have to address today is very important for us to consider as well. Uh, last week we didn't touch much on the blessings that God said He would give. I did go back and review that briefly. But then the rest of the chapter of Deuteronomy 28 is an exposition of the problems, the curses, the punishments that God said He would bring if we do not obey God's laws. And that was for those people then, and it has been for Israel ever since, and it is for today, because we today live in a land physically of Israel, and even more importantly than that, we are a representation of spiritual Israel, which is a very, very much smaller group of people. But in verse 68 of chapter 28, he said, I'll bring you into Egypt again with ships, by the way, whereof I spoke to you, that you shall see it no more again. And there you shall be sold, your enemies, for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Uh, put up for sale, but not much use. Uh, overweight, sick, diseased, uh, spoiled, rotten, not really much use as slaves. Uh, so most people would not even consider buying people from this nation when they're offered for sale. <coughs> this time from this country, we probably would be taken by ship to various parts of the world. I think Egypt here is only symbolic of the whole world of sin, because other scriptures show that we'll be taken to all countries everywhere, and that's even, I think, in this same chapter, certainly in the last chapter, two or three, where that's mentioned. So let's go on from there uh, to chapter 29. These are the words of the covenant which the Eternal commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb. Now this was probably Ezra's uh, editing of what Moses had said. He's recounting it and finishing up uh, the things which Moses had spoken to Israel at this time as they were about to go into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. So he says it wasn't just the covenant that was made at Sinai. There the commandments were given. There the people all agreed, we will obey God. And of course they did not. And wandered about for 40 years and died in the desert. Their children then were ready to go in. So he makes an agreement now, not just with their fathers, but with them. Before they were allowed to go in, an agreement had to be made. I think that's important for us to understand as we approach a time when things are going to change. This nation, again, is going into captivity along with the other nations of Israel as a last fulfillment of all these prophecies that were laid out way ahead of time and then repeated. They were laid out here. Those people suffered. They were laid out again after the captivity when they failed to obey God. 
by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel. Some of those prophecies occurred just before, and some during, and some after that captivity had taken place. So they were for a future time. Meanwhile, Israel and I think the real Jerusalem lay desolate for many generations. And now here at the end time, it's time for that to come to the fore again. And God's people will not only be allowed to come into the land of Israel, which we came into uh, when we settled this country and other parts of the areas where Israel are today, but now perhaps the true Jerusalem as well by spiritual Israel, not physical Israel, because they're the ones whom God is dealing with today. He's not dealing with physical Israel other than to bring the cursings upon them because of their disobedience and not truly using the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob properly. They were brought to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and did not succeed at what we were sent here to do. It is interesting to me that Columbus, quote-unquote, discovered America in 1492. America had been discovered and visited many, many times by Asians and Europeans through the centuries, but never settled by those peoples. And even though Columbus made his voyage in 1492 and if you want to say discovered, go ahead. It's what history records. But Spain nor Portugal settled this land. Spain went down into Mexico, Central America, and you have Spanish speaking from Mexico south through South America. That is not the land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they did not discuss, they did not settle and take the land north of where Columbus came, but they took that west and south. And it was 115 years later, 110, whatever it was, 1607, when we made a permanent uh, settlement in North America, that is the United States. And it wasn't the Spanish or the Portuguese it was the Anglo-Saxons from Isaac. Why was there a long gap like that? God reserved this country for us. He let them go into Mexico and South America. He saved this for us. And this time we're going to be taken in cargo ships all over the world. Now, you and I are here to make a covenant forthwith with God Almighty. Moses called to all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Eternal did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and unto all his land. The great temptations which your eyes have seen, the signs, those great miracles. Yet the Eternal has not given you a heart to perceive, eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. 
Now, picture this. These were the children, some of them who, or I guess all of them born in the desert, but whose very parents had seen the Red Sea part, had seen all the plagues on Egypt, and had recounted those things to these children as they grew up. And had told them how God had provided water and quail and manna. And these children, these people standing right here before Moses, had eaten manna all their lives and quail. And their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not get old. Maybe out of style. No, they didn't get out of style. There was no style around. They were all by themselves. They just wore the same clothes for 40 years. Mine don't last that long. It was a miracle from God. We sit here today, having seen God open the eyes of people around the world. We have seen the miracle of conversion. We have seen a work that was done. We saw it rise and we saw it fall. We have seen already some pretty mighty miracles of God. We have seen some healings in our lives. We have seen some since we've lived here on this land that are unexplainable any other way. We've seen a lot. We understand a lot. So have the people who are in Worldwide Church of God, both called as co-workers and those who then were chosen to be members. We've seen a lot, understood a lot. Yet the eternal has not given you an ear, a heart to perceive, eyes to see, and ears to hear to this day. It is very interesting that the church fell apart. Many, many went back into what they had been in, where they came from, back to old beliefs. Just walked away from the truth of God as if it never existed. Others have twisted it and changed it and almost done away with it. Others follow it with lip service, but don't do much about it. And they don't perceive what is going on right now. Some are still waiting for ten nations to arise in Europe. Well, twenty-some-odd have already arisen. There is a United States of Europe. And it's a lot bigger than ten individual nations, which was expected. And yet some are still preaching that as if it hadn't already happened. They're still depending on that. And we're way beyond that. We're to a worldwide division of ten. Maybe led by a European, maybe not. The Assyrian could be symbolic of a leader, just like Egypt is symbolic of worldwide sin. It might be 
an Assyrian by blood. I won't say that it's not. But on the other hand, I cannot say with any certainty that it will be. The Assyrian is simply symbolic of what were the kings of the north and the other powers. We'll see how it comes down. But people are living in the past, not in the present and the future. How can you still preach Herbert Armstrong? How can you preach him as the Elijah to come? who after when he spoke and finished his work, the end would come. And he died a quarter century ago and the end has not come. It's time to wake up to reality. How can you cling to something you expect to happen and it's way too late for it ever to have happened? Past history. It's a whole big group of people of the truth of God who still preach Herbert Armstrong and him crucified. Not God, not the gospel of the kingdom of God, but the man Armstrong. Now, God used Herbert Armstrong. I don't have a problem with that. But he obviously didn't preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and then the income. It didn't happen. Where is the heart to perceive, and the eyes to see, and the ears to hear this day? Not many have it. You know, it's like you might have had your eye on somebody to marry them. And they then went off and married somebody else. And ten years later, you're still clinging to the dream that you're going to marry that person. It's too late! It's gone! It's over! Move on! Our marriage is to Christ, not Herbert Armstrong. Christ is alive. All right, let's move on. And I have led you, in verse 5, 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxed old upon you. Your shoe is not waxed old upon your foot. Not speaking of their fathers, speaking of them standing there. And I want to speak today to those standing here. Not ancient history. You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink that you might know that I am the Eternal, your God. He didn't give them bread in all those 40 years. They went 40 years without any wine or strong drink. And the purpose for them wandering 40 years was to learn that He is the Eternal, their God. Does that remind you of any other scripture? Reminds me of the book of Ezekiel. 
seems like every other breath, Ezekiel says, that they may know that I am the eternal God. Over and over and over and over again, Ezekiel said that. Now, Ezekiel is a prophecy written for today. So what Moses said here, as those people are about to go into the land, is echoed through the centuries until today, and by Ezekiel, who wrote specifically for today. Most of what Ezekiel wrote was after they were already in captivity. Do we understand that? Jeremiah wrote some things prior to it and said it would be a long captivity, 70 years. But Ezekiel sat on the river Kibar in captivity and wrote about a captivity that was to come. In his day, it was too late to write about a captivity that was about to happen, in other words. It had already occurred. So he was preaching and writing something for the future. And there has not been a captivity since then, but there is one imminent today, so this is the one he was writing about. That they may know that God is the eternal God. All of these things that are about to happen are for that purpose. For the whole, the church and the whole world to know who God is. That's the whole purpose of the end time witness, which is yet to come. There was a calling work done. Many were called and few were chosen. Some, I think, are still being chosen. We have opportunity to be among those being chosen. So listen up. Then he gave a little more of their history. When you came into this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we smote them. And we took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant, and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. They were about to cross the Jordan River. This was his parting shot with them. He said, you go forth and be careful what you do, that you may prosper in what you do. We have a big job ahead of us if we are accounted worthy to do it. And we need to prosper in all that we do to make sure that it happens according to God's will, His purpose, and that we are in line with that purpose so that we can be a part of accomplishing it. You stand this day, all of you, before the eternal your God. Now we stood at the beginning of this service, did we not? Sang three hymns from God's Word. And then we had a prayer in which... We said, in essence, we stand before you, Almighty Heavenly Father, and we ask you to guide, to lead, to direct what is said here and what we hear here. We do this every week, don't we? 
We did it a few minutes ago. So we are before God's throne right now, and He is listening and hearing and observing and pondering everything that we say and think right here, formally before Him this very day. And we all said, Amen. You stand this day, all of you, in this room and on this microphone. Now, should God have our attention? Should we be thinking? Are we just going through the motions, brethren? That's what a lot of the church is doing. Do you just come to Sabbath services and hear that, and that was good, and you go your way? He was telling them, you are about to go into the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen up! So that it might be prosperous and worthwhile. And you might do well there. And he said these things. And they listened. And they said, yes, and they didn't. And they went into captivity. And now we have one more chance. You stand this day, all of you, before the Eternal, your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and your stranger that is in camp, from the hewer of the wood to the drawer of the water. He said, I'm talking to everybody here. That you should enter into covenant with the Eternal, your God, and into His oath, which Eternal, your God, makes with you this day. That, you may, that he may establish you today for a people to himself, and that he may be to you a God, as he has said to you, and as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He said, I want you to confirm the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that which was made with Horeb, and make a new one today. Now before, he allows a people to do His work before He is able to bless them, before He is able to move forward with them, He wants to be sure that they are committed, that they're ready, they're willing, and they will do everything they can to accomplish His purposes. We'll see that outlined a little more. Neither with you only, standing there in front of him, do I make this covenant and this oath. But with him that stands here with us this day before the eternal our God, he said, yes, I include all of you standing here, and also with him that is not here with us this day. Now, some years ago, I wrote in my margin there to explain this, those that are not here, as, and here's my note, some had stayed 
uh, let's see, what is it? Oh, okay. Some had stayed, gone back, or defected along the way. Some had gone back to Egypt. Some maybe have stayed in Egypt. And then some departed and went back along the way. Now, that seemed to me a pretty good explanation of what Moses had to say there. But I see a problem with that now. If they had gone back, defected, or stayed, you don't make a covenant with somebody who is of opposite mind, has departed and gone away, and is not part. Hmm. And many of them died. Do you make a covenant with the dead? Now, all those who had gone into that desert had died and their carcasses fallen. If some had stayed in Egypt in that 40 years, some of them had died. Didn't make, he wasn't making a covenant with them. Then who would also with him that is not here with us this day mean? That has to be future. That was a covenant that was being made not for the past or for those who were gone and dead. It was a covenant from that day forward. You make a covenant with people who can keep it, not people who are gone or dead and it's too late. When he said this day, what was his mindset as he gave this whole speech? His whole mindset was, I'm about to die. Joshua is going to lead you into the promised land. And you are to obey God in that promised land. So Moses was looking in his mind's eye forward as he said all this, not backwards. He reminded them of what had happened in the past, but as far as any covenant or any agreement or any conduct, it had to be for the future. So those not here to, with us this day would mean those who would succeed the ones he was talking to. And we are the last in line along those guidelines. Then he says parenthetically, For you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which you passed by. You have seen their abominations, their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. So he does recount their history as they stood there. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the eternal our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood. He only reminds them of the past so that they could recount where they had been and what they had done, but his view is to the future. He said, I don't want any of you here with whom I am making this covenant before God 
to be full of bitterness and poison, gall and wormwood. God cannot work with, cannot use people who are bitter, who are poison, who have negative attitudes, who are always, it can't be done, that can't be right, this can't be. Poison attitudes are not of any use to God. He wants a Berean attitude. Prove whether these things be so. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Don't disprove. Don't disapprove. Don't be negative. It's all about attitude. How do we approach something? Now, in a world of people, you have basically two types. Those who look at the glass as half full and those who look at the glass as half empty. Now, God is saying here, I don't want any people who say the glass is half empty. I want people who say the glass is half full. I want people who will recount their blessings. Now, what did he do here? He told them, don't look at those other gods. Look at the true God who has been with you and brought you through all this. Now, was it difficult in the wilderness? Yes, it was. Are you going to sit and say, well, this was bad and that was bad and I didn't have anything to drink? I mean, wine or strong drink. They didn't for 40 years. And I wanted bread. And not only that, I wanted butter on it. And I didn't have any of that all this time. Bad, 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 bad. All the while. No. He said, think of the God who made it so your shoes didn't wear out. And your clothes didn't wax old and fall off you. If you wore the same clothes for 40 years, wandered through the desert sands and rocks on the same shoes for 40 years, I don't care what you pay for a pair of Nikes, they won't do that. Look to God, who has blessed now, sure, we've gone through a lot of negative, haven't we? In the last 40 years? God doesn't want us to be bitter. He doesn't want an attitude of gall or wormwood. He wants us to be looking forward positively at what God has done for us. Opened our minds to a truth. Sent someone, taught him over years. And had him open his mouth and preach the truth to us so that he could open our minds. And we could be here today instead of out there in the world wondering what's going on. We know what's going on and we know why. And we know a way out of it. Furthermore, that's incredible. 
There are people out there right now telling Americans how to survive this. Buy lots of guns, buy lots of bullets, store up a lot of food, build yourself a bomb shelter somewhere, be ready to head for the mountains with a full tank of gas, and you'll survive this. Not necessarily. There is only one true means of escape. And that is to be accounted by Almighty God to be delivered from what is coming. It's the only way to escape, for sure. He doesn't want any gall or wormwood or negative poisonous attitudes among us. If we tend to be one of those people that thinks negatively instead of positively, then we need to have a personality change. A conversion, if you will. Conversion means change. It means the way you think, the way you look at things. Well, I can't change my whole personality. Yes, you can. You can change the way you think. Now, you've already proved it to one degree or another, haven't you? You don't think now like you did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when you were called to the truth. You think a lot differently now. About Sabbaths, holy days, holidays... A lot of different things you think differently on than you used to. So, get rid of the bitterness, get rid of the poison, get rid of the negativity. Think positively. Move forward. It's all about attitude. You have to retrain your mind. You may have been for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years been a negative thinker. Oh, I just know the sun's not going to come up today. <laughs> well, if you live long enough, you're going to be right. There is a day of clouds and darkness coming. I hope you're not in it. I hope when the day of the Lord hits, you're somewhere having a honeymoon with Emmanuel. But if you stick to your guns with utter negativity, you might live long enough to see the day of darkness and gloominess and clouds. You might. God doesn't want a negative attitude to do His work here at the end. Don't disprove all things. Prove all things. Well, that just couldn't be. Well, maybe it could be. How do you know? How are you going to find out if you say, no? How do you get beyond that? How do you get past that? If that mind is set on no, it probably won't get past that. And it probably won't accept what is going to happen even when it is happening. I can tell you, based on God's absolute inviolate word, 
that 90% of the church will say, No, that can't be! Nine out of ten will say that. Ten percent will say, That might be. I'm going to check that out. Herbert Armstrong often said, the majority is always wrong. And again, the majority is going to be dead wrong. And dead as well. Of the church, 10% will respond to God and what he does at the end time. Now, do I know all he's going to do? Ah, there's the loose brick. They'll reject what God is doing, but Daryl doesn't know what God is doing. All right, go for it. Whatever. Make up your own mind. I might be right. There is always that chance, however slim. It could be. Are you going to say no or investigate and have a positive outlook and try to see? I'm not against anybody. Moses wasn't against anybody. He really wanted to see them prosper in the new land they were about to enter. That's why he took the time and the energy and the effort to address them right here. He wanted them to succeed. God wants you to succeed. I want you to succeed. And you want you to succeed. Of course, attitude has an awful lot to do with it. Well, of course I want to be there. Of course I want to do what's right. But you know me... No, God doesn't accept excuses. He says, to him that overcomes. Not he who wished he had overcome, not he who thought about overcoming, not he who stirred it with his finger a little bit, but he who overcomes. Will he will enter into the kingdom of God. That's what it comes down to. Now, you can go find a Protestant church that tells you it's a lot easier than that. And if you so desire, you can go find yourself a part of the church of God who will tell you that. All you have to do is sit here and follow me, and you'll be on that plane to Petra when the ten nations led by a German come against us. Live on in your little dream world, if you wish. But it's too late for that. But if you choose to move forward, leave your negative attitude behind. That's what Moses is saying here. You've seen what's out there in the world. 
You've seen their gods of gold and silver and wood and stone and Chinese products at Walmart. Is that what you're after? Is that what you want? Our president just went to Asia and he bowed deeply to the emperor of Japan and embarrassed the whole Japanese nation because leaders of a sovereign power shouldn't do that. It's a sign of weakness and of obeisance and worship. And as he bowed deeply, he reached out his hand to shake hands, which is not the right protocol. They're embarrassed for us because we're supposedly their ally. And for him to show that kind of weakness to the whole world and the audience of their strongest ally embarrassed them greatly. Because the American leadership today is willing to bow to the whole world and apologize for being who we are. Sad. Well, when you look at what we are, we need to apologize, but we need to repent before God Almighty, not tell the rest of the world that we're just sorry for what we are. Now, we're sorry, all right. And God is about to destroy us. You can look at this world, and you can look at everything that it's done, and you can look to its gods, or you can look to the true God. So I'm not saying if you have a poison or a negative attitude to go away, I'm saying change it. Just repent of it. Get over it. That's all it takes. Verse 19, and it come to pass when he hears the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. There are those who will have a negative attitude and they say, oh, go away. Don't tell me that stuff. I'm going to live in peace. I got my own way of doing things. I have my own way of thinking. He said, don't. Take that approach and that attitude. Now, I know this was Moses. It wasn't Daryl. And I don't pretend to be Moses. But I have been commissioned to preach the words of Moses to you. And of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and James, and Peter, and John, and Christ himself. Yeah, you can take the easy way out and say, ah, so what? Well, that's a choice that people can make. Verse 20, the eternal will not spare him. If you take that approach to these words, God will not spare you. But then the anger of the eternal and his jealousy shall smoke against that man and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Eternal shall blot out his name from under heaven. That's a pretty powerful statement. If we ignore the things, 
But God is telling us in these end-time prophecies, yes, in Deuteronomy as well as the other prophets. Remember, Moses was a prophet. God's Word calls Moses a prophet. Prophet is for future events. And in fact, he says, I will send Moses and Elijah as in the end time, and these prophets. So Moses' word is brought forward by God to the end time. And you stand in personal jeopardy if you ignore or minimize these words. And the Eternal shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel. Now this reminds me of what Ezekiel said. I will purge the rebels from among you. Well, Moses is warning the rebels here. Ezekiel did the same thing. And he is not going to curse all the remnant, just as he had said here, I will not curse all Israel, but I will wipe those rebellious ones out. He puts it on the individual. Read Ezekiel 33. A father will not be punished for his son's sin, nor a son for his father's sin, but all will bear his own guilt. Now, God had punished the whole nation because of Achan. Even in the New Testament. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. Because of Achan, because of others, God caused many people to die and held that whole tribe and all Israel responsible for one man's sin. Now, one bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. And God understood that. But today, He holds us accountable for ourselves, and He will not punish all of us because of one. Unless it spreads. And that's why the New Testament makes it very clear that if someone is rotting, that they be removed, lest they rot the whole church. 1 Corinthians 5 and other places. Now, there are analogies that ultimately break down. Yes, we are all a part of the body. And the body is all connected by a nervous system. If one hurts, they all hurt. And if one is cut off, the whole body hurts. So, we are still responsible. We are still our brother's keeper to some degree. Now, consider your physical body. Is there any part of it that you would like to see hacked off? Other than maybe a fingernail that you don't feel pain in. You don't want to see a hangnail even ripped off, do you? Hurts. So we are our brother's keepers. And we are here to help keep the body intact. We're here to help each other stay and grow and be strengthened so that all the whole body might be at peace. That is a goal and a purpose. And if one of us is cut off, 
then the rest of the body does and should hurt. But ultimately, when the final judgment comes, it's going to be an individual matter. God holds us responsible only, ultimately, for ourselves. Verse 21, And the Eternal shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel according to the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So the covenant he's making with them, really, was the same covenant that he had made at Horeb at Sinai. Same laws, same rules. And the covenant being made with us today is same rules. Now, sacrifices are not necessary because Christ was the sacrifice. But we still sacrifice our time, our energy, our prayers for one another. We were asked today to pray for some people. And the prayers and hymns, songs, go up before God as sweet incense to Him. The singing during a service such as we're having today is a sweet incense to God. It's a very vital and important part of our worship service before God, to sing songs of praise to Him. So it's the same law, it's the same hymns, sung from the same book. So that the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you and the strangers that shall come from a far land shall say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the eternal has laid upon it, if you don't keep the covenant you make with God, this curses and the sickness is coming. And then people will come from afar. And that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning that is not sown nor bears nor any grass grows therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboah, which the Eternal overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all nations shall say, Wherefore has the Eternal done this to this land? What means the heat of this great anger? What in the world happened to America? Why is it destroyed? Then men shall say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the eternal God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given to them. And the anger of the eternal was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. This was Israel's book, they'll say. And everything that was written here and here about this land has come upon it because they went after other gods didn't worship the one true God. Do you know that some of our forefathers, the Puritans who came over and landed on these shores, made a covenant with God when they got here that they would follow the Bible? When they landed there at Plymouth Rock, they got off the boat. Some of them prayed that night. They thanked God for the deliverance from the King of England, from debtor's prison, 
from the wrong kind of government they were living under. They thanked God for giving them passage across the land and landing and being able to walk across that beach. And they vowed to God Almighty that they would live according to His ways, that they would follow His Word. Some of them understood the Sabbath. Some of them understood the Holy Days. They understood that Christmas was pagan and Easter was pagan. Some of them understood a great deal of this book. Some of them understood that the Ten Commandments were still in effect. They may have actually been in contact with the true God, not just the God of this world, when they landed. Not just the one boat, but as more and more boats came across, and it came into 13 colonies, or sovereign nations. And they vowed that they would make this a Christian nation. How long did it last? And now the, blessing, the, the cursings are about to come, not the blessings, because we have followed other gods. Now there's one last gasp hope. You. You sitting here, among others, who know, to make a final covenant with God, and this time to do it, to live with it. To make it happen. You are the hope of Israel. Sitting right here. And again I say among others scattered throughout the church of God. Who will respond and say the glass is half full and it's getting fuller. And they'll come to build the temple of God. we got a choice to make, brethren. Is it going to be said of us, we died and were taken captivity along with the rest? Or will we make a commitment and a covenant with God to see this thing through? Verse 28, And the Eternal rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. They weren't in the promised land. They were about to enter it. But they had been slaves of the world, slaves in Egypt, as we have been slaves of the culture of this world. The secret things belong to the eternal our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has secret things. He says he'll do some surprising things in the end there in the book of Isaiah that we didn't know. He'll do some things that weren't even written ahead. So the secret things belong to God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. What was revealed here was to be passed on generation to generation forever. And we are the descendants of Moses and of Joshua, of Israel. And this was intended for us, that we may do all the words of this law.
And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessings and the curse. Now, I find it interesting that the blessing is going to come in the midst of the curse. When these have all come to pass, the blessing and the curse. Now, this land has been blessed. Now it is being cursed. Not a future thing anymore. It's just a matter of intensity now. We're already being cursed. It's just going to get a whole lot worse, that's all. And the church was blessed, and now it is being cursed. But even in the midst of the curse that is now befalling this nation, God is going to bless a 10% who are not full of gall and wormwood who will obey. So when the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the eternal your God has driven you. The church is scattered now. And he says, wherever you are in the world, consider these things. The nation is physically about to be scattered through all the world. And he tells them when that happens, consider these things. And shall return to the eternal your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? When you turn to me with all your heart, then you'll find me. Didn't he say, I will spew you out because of half-heartedness? I want your whole heart. I want all of you, not part of you. That then the eternal your God will turn your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations whereof the eternal your God has scattered you. The church is now scattered. If we will turn to God with our whole heart, and we're the only ones really that can yet, he will regather us. All those who hear the cry and the plea, he will gather. And then once this nation is scattered and they turn to God with their whole heart, he will gather them up again in the millennium. So it's a two-part deal here. Two different peoples he's talking to. Spiritual Israel and physical Israel. If any of yours be driven out into the outmost parts of heaven... From there will the eternal your God gather you, and from there will he fetch you. It doesn't matter where you're scattered or how isolated you are. If it were out in the heavens, he would bring you back. And that's carried out to its extreme going to happen as well. We sent a spaceship out into the universe, and people were fried or froze to death out there, and they're floating around in the universe, when it comes time for the resurrection of the dead, God can bring them back from the far reaches of heaven. There's no problem. He controls it all. <laughs> Maybe I should put it this way. If you were part of the church of God, no matter how far out you are today, God can bring you back if you'll listen. It doesn't matter.
And the eternal your God will bring you into the land which ye your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. Let's explore just for a moment. If the church, spiritual Israel, were to be taken back to the land of our fathers, which the world assumes was Israel, Palestine, and the Middle East, why in the world are we going to Jordan? To Petra. Did you ever think of that? God said He'd bring you back to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not Ammon. That's not Moab. That's not some Gentile country or some half-brother's country. He'll bring us back to the land of Abraham, not just Abraham, because you might argue, well, Moab and Ammon and some of those people were children of Abraham too. No, he took it through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the line of Israel. Abraham wasn't named Israel. Jacob was. That's the line that he's working through. And if he brings back his people, it's going to be to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the land of Moab and Ammon. Time to wake up and smell the roses. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. He has brought us back to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the only solution to the problem today. That's where he brought the land of Ephraim, us. The land which they originally had. It cannot be any other way. If that's the case, no matter whether we're Ephraim or Manasseh, really, why aren't we in the Middle East? And why aren't we in a land there that has been blessed above all nations on earth and where our people have become as the sands of the sea and the stars of heaven? Why aren't we there? Because the end time prophecies have been fulfilled about the physical peoples of Israel. And if it's over there, then God was lying to us. Because we're not there. Duh! How stupid can we get? How stupid have we been? Now, because you and I may know different, does that make us any less stupid? I don't think so. I was still just as stupid two or three years ago as anybody else. Or ten. God showed us some things. Because we're so stupid, we wouldn't have figured it out any other way. including me. So if you're still stupid, you're only a little bit behind. Don't worry about it. Smarten up. You know, 
It's okay. Most are only smart enough at the last minute, and then they'll come. Where did Israel increase? But isn't that what it says? I'll bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. It'll be yours. He's speaking to all Israel here. Not just Judah. Not just a bunch of Ashkenazi Jews who weren't Jews to start with, who were in the promised land, they say, today. You, Israel, will possess it, and he will do you good, and we have been done good to, a land of milk and honey and productivity and brass and iron, and multiply you above your fathers. Now, he was speaking to a pretty good bunch of people there, even. And he was telling them that they would multiply. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had multiplied to the number who were standing there before Moses that day, had they not? They had already been multiplied. Probably several million of them came out of Egypt. And they had lots of children. Israel's the only thing they were ever good at. So even though the mothers and fathers had died, there were still lots of kids standing there. None of them had starved to death. It had manna. There were lots of kids. They had already been multiplied. But he's saying that was not the end of the promise. You standing here, he said, will be multiplied and given the land and possess it. Above your fathers, way beyond what those who died out here 40 years ago or during the last 40 years had. And the eternal your God will circumcise your heart. Now, I think that's a prophecy for the future. Circumcision was still then of the flesh. David understood the spirit, and he mentioned circumcision of the heart a few times. That evil, deceitful part of the heart has to be cut out and replaced by what? The Holy Spirit of God. Not of the flesh, but of the heart. Now, that was first offered when Christ came to this earth. And he offered it through the apostles. And a few exceptions in the Old Testament. The heart of your seed, to love the eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And eternal your God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you which persecuted you. Now God is going to curse this world. We could tie in hundreds of prophecies with what we're reading right here today in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Matthew, and Luke, and Revelation. We could tie all those in here, but this series would take forevermore. Because we've already been there and read them, haven't we? And he shows that in the end time, that we will become, as God's people, to be looked upon as a curse among the nations.
And God will turn the curses on them, and he will bless us. That's what he's promised. And you shall return and obey the voice of the Eternal, and do all his commandments which I command you this day. But we're in that position right now to be repenting, aren't we? We're the ones that have been spewed out. We're the ones that need to be repenting and changing and changing our thinking and being different. We're the ones who have opportunity to be blessed. Most of the church at this point does not understand at all what you understand. Count your blessings. Just count your blessings. You have opportunity. And through you, others will hear and have opportunity, and nine-tenths of them will turn away, sadly. They will have curses on them then. But those who listen will return and obey and do his commandments, and the eternal your God will make you plenteous in every work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your land for good. For the eternal will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. Moses was looking way into the future when he said this. Because he's talking about what would happen in the future. And as we get on into this book, before we're done, he is going to tell them that even though I told you all these things, you will rebel, and you will not obey God, and you will go into captivity. He told them ahead of time what they would do and what their reaction would be in spite of all the pleading he did with them. So he is saying here that if you disobey, but you return and repent, then the blessings will come back. All right? They sinned. And they went into captivity. And he's telling us that we also were given blessings in this nation, and we have sinned, and it is going into punishment and cursing. But even yet, there is a small group of people that if they will truly repent and turn to God with all their hearts, then he will bless them. For the Eternal will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. And he will give us, I believe, the very land, not just the whole continent, but the very land that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob first trod upon. If you shall hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul, how many times does He say that through the Bible? For this commandment which I command you this day, it is not hidden from you, neither is it far off, Pretty plain to us. you got a book right in front of you, sitting right there. You're reading along. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Sitting right in front of you, right in front of your face. Neither is it beyond the sea. It's not overseas somewhere. It's in this land. This is the land God put it in. This is the land He formed His end-time church in. This is the land of Israel. It's right here. 
It's not up in heaven or across the ocean somewhere in China or Poland or Ghana. It's right here. Don't go overseas and bring it to us so we may hear it and do it. This is where he started it. This is where he brought the message from right here, this land. Southwestern United States, Herbert Armstrong, Pasadena, California. And this is where it is going to emanate from again. But the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Now, how big an audience does that include today? Who has the word very near to you? Who has the word in their mouth and in your heart? Do the Chinese? Do the Venezuelans? No. Just the church. Even in this so-called Christian nation, very few have the Word of God near and in their mouth and in their heart. They have sitcoms in their heart and their mind. They have worldly music in their heart and their mind. They have money and jobs in their heart and mind. They have Christmas and Easter in their heart and their mind. They don't have God and His Word in their heart and their mind. This is not a Christian nation. It's a fascist, communist nation. Increasingly by the day. See, verse 15, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Who is he making this covenant with now? Has he set before this whole nation life and death and good and evil? Herbert Armstrong preached a calling work, and yeah, it went out over the airwaves, TV, to some degree. And they had opportunity and a chance. But it's not there anymore, is it? It's not there anymore. I don't care what some groups think they're doing. It's not there anymore. And people aren't listening anymore. We're the ones that have life and good and death and evil set before us. And that I command you this day to love the eternal your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the eternal your God shall bless you in the land where you go to possess it. What does 1 John 5, 3 say? This is the love of God that you keep His commandments. There are a lot of people in this nation who say they love God, but His commandments are done away. They do not love God. They do not know God. They know the prince of the power of the air, a false god. In their heart, they think they love God. But God defines love Himself because your definition means nothing. 
This is the love of God that you keep the commandments. So if we say we're a Christian nation but the commandments are done away, we don't have a clue what we're talking about. So, Moses lays it out the same way the Apostle John laid it out. I command you to love your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may be blessed. That's bottom line. But if your heart turn away, so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. Our whole nation has done that. This nation, if it has a God at all, is Satan the devil. It is not a Christian nation, it is a satanic nation. Giving lip service to Almighty God, but denying the truth and the commandments. And that is a false religion, it is a false God, and it has many idols that serve Satan. That's where we are today. I denounce to you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land where you pass over Jordan to go to possess it. The people of this nation need to read the book of Deuteronomy so badly. But they won't. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your children may live, that you may love the eternal your God, and that you may obey his voice, and that you may cleave to him, for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Eternal swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You sit in this land today because God gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he set before us in this land blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that you and your children may be blessed.